0: I appreciate your ministry, Brother Isaac. God bless you. Powerful worship ministry. Without what Brother Isaac and Brother Alex does, there is no pops. Because the Bible says we should come into his presence with praises and thanksgiving. Okay, it opens the door. And we walk right in, right in behind them. So we've been talking about the book of James. And what we love about the book of James is is the most practical book in the bible in fact in my opinion the book of james is the whole bible condensed it's like the cliff note of the bible you could have a believer that just got born again filled with the holy spirit and just say read the book of james it's very easy to understand and it's very easy to apply to life So, Brother James has been giving us an outline of what a true Christian looks like. Have you ever wondered, because you have people from various faiths, various denominations, and everybody has their own imagination of what a Christian should be like. And James has been laying out some very good metric that you could measure yourself against in terms of saying, am I a true believer in Jesus Christ? The first one he mentioned was joy. He said, can't it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your patience will produce, and to make you lacking and wanting nothing. So he gave us that when you are a Christian, it does not immunize you to trials. The proverbial crap is going to hit the fan sometimes. And it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. That's what he's saying. It's just saying, because you are a Christian, you're going to be tried. Because guess what? We live in a stinking, devil, corrupted world. And the devil is going to come after you just because you are a Christian and you love Jesus. And he said, when you come through that, he said, when you, when you hit that point, Counting all joy. So joy is a major strategy of a believer. And do you know how to practice your joy? You practice your joy with a smile and a laugh. So let's do it right now. Ah, ha, ha. <laughs> let's do that again. Ah, ha, ha. I tell you, devil hates your laugh. But your laugh is a sign of victory. Your frown and your depression is a sign of defeat. If you smile and you laugh, you're saying, God, I know you got my back. If you frown and you're depressed, you're saying, Satan, you got me where you want me. So when you wake up in the morning, smile, laugh. It's a victorious strategy to overcome and come through your storm. That is the first thing Brother James taught us. Then he shifted to the latter part of chapter 1, He started talking to us that if you're a true believer, you're going to care for the widows and the orphans and the fatherless. He said you're going to go out and visit them just like Jesus did. The Bible says Jesus went about doing good, healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. We need to do what Brother Kerry does. You need to go into your community. And just know as you go into your community, you are the hands of Christ. You are the voice of Christ. You have the authority of Christ. Speak to things. If someone tells you they are having a problem with their marriage, just say, brother, you know what? Let me speak to your marriage. Let me pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, I speak peace into this marriage. In Jesus' name. When you speak peace to that marriage, Jesus just did. All right? You are Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. He is visibly in heaven. He is the only man in heaven. Jesus Christ is the only man in heaven. He represents us. He is our head. And we are his body. So when the spirit moves on you, that is Jesus Christ. You represent him. You are his ambassador. So we need to go into the community, visit the widows, care for the orphans and the fatherless. Then he shifted into chapter 2. The first 14 verses of chapter 2, he started telling us not to judge people by outward appearances don't judge them and hurt them because they are Democrat or Republican or because they are black or they are white or because they are Asians or Mexican or because they are Baptist or Catholic. He said, do not judge by any external appearances. Just love all people, period. Don't judge people. Don't, don't, don't see a rich man and you try to like kiss up to that man. Treat the common man like the rich man. Treat the president like you treat your clerk. Treat the janitor like you are treating the pope. We don't have double standard in Christianity. We we don't see colors. We don't see rich or poor. We don't see black or white. We see people that Jesus shed his blood for. That's it. So that's what he told us in the book of chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Then in verses 15, downwards to 26, the end of chapter 2, he started telling us that faith without action gains no traction. That your faith must be accompanied with action. Your faith is not just mental ascent. Oh, I know that. I've heard that before. Your faith is action. So if you truly believe, you're going to act. You're going to speak. You're gonna pray. You're gonna bless people. You're gonna give your money. You're gonna give your time. Not just, oh, well, I read through the Bible seven times. I know I could quote all the scriptures. But with that action, he compares that to a demonic faith. He said, Demons are either agnostic or atheist. He said, Demons know there is God, they know there is a Savior, they know there is Jesus Christ, there is Holy Spirit. But he said, that faith, that knowledge never changes them. So he said, if you only have mental knowledge and you don't practice your faith with actions, you are like demon, demons. That's what he said. It was pretty a brutal, brutal statement, but that's what Brother James said. And Brother James just happened to be the brother of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So I have to believe what he says. So in chapter 3, he begins to tell us he said stop being teachers he was talking to his church because at the time there were jewish people that were becoming christians there were gentiles becoming christians and the jews wanted to exercise their authority over the new gentiles and trying to teach them whereas they are teaching them the wrong things because they, they themselves they have not really been changed then he shifted from that he began to talk about the power in the tongue the power of your tongue. So I've caught you up. If you have never been here, over the past four, five, six weeks, I've caught you up. So now you are, we are in the same place. So I'm going to read my introduction now. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words can release life or death, love or hate, courage or fear, blessings or curses. With words, God created the heaven and the earth and flung the sun, moon, stars, and planets into the universe. In our passage today, James illustrates the supernatural power in our tongue and the devastating evil impact of misspoken words by comparing the tongue to common objects that are familiar to his audience. James 3, 3 to 6. And it reads, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are torn by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See, how, grace, a forest, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so sent among our bodies, among our members, that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the curse of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Heavenly Father, these are your words which you spoke and was written down so it might be spoken again. Father, as we speak your word tonight, teach us by your Holy Spirit. Father, you are the head of the church, Lord. Teach us tonight. Father, blow our minds with these words. Let us see it. Let it come alive. And teach us to apply it to our lives. Because we know the test will come, Lord. So teach us to overcome that test by applying your words. In Jesus' name we have prayed. And so shall it be, amen. So, Brother James has been teaching us about tongues, the power in our tongue, the power in this tongue. And he begins to use very familiar examples to his audience. And I'm gonna take some liberties in our explain this example so that you could get what he's talking about. The first one he spoke about was the small bit the beat that controls a two-ton horse. And I'm thinking of the Budweiser horse, or the horse you will see. President Trump was in town last night, and you could see those big horses in downtown Pittsburgh the cops were riding, big horses, two-ton horse. Then he said, he also compares the tongue to the rudder of a sheep. And I'm comparing this rudder to a 60,000-ton cruise ship, because I just got off one. My family and I, we, were in, uh, we went to the East Caribbean for the summer. And we were sailing on the largest ship in the world that is built by Royal Caribbean. And this ship is so huge, you will think you are in a mall. You won't even feel anything. And he said, a tiny rudder controls a 60,000-pound ship. 16,000-ton shape. Then he also compares the tongue to a small matchstick that sparks a big forest wildfire. So when you look at all these three examples, when you look at all these three examples, am I good? When you look at all these three examples, one of the things that jumps out at you is that The results are exceedingly out of proportion compared to the size of the agent producing them. I want to say that again. The results, in all those three examples, the results are exceedingly out of proportion, exceedingly large compared to the size of the agent produces that result. What do I mean by that? What he's saying is this. The tongue is capable of unleashing uncontrollable forces into our lives and the world and our families and the society larger than this little piece of flesh in our mouth. The result is uncomparable, just like a small bit controls a two-ton horse, just like a small rudder controls a 60,000-ton ship, just like a little spark sparks a little match sparks a fire that destroys hundreds and hundreds of homes, such as what we have going on in California right now. Is comparing your tongue to that. Think about that. think about that and also what I want you to notice is this when you look when you look at those example a horse and a sheep are vehicles of transport they are transport vehicles they are traveling they are moving through It compares us to a horse and a sheep. Why? Because you are also a sojourner. You are a traveler. You are traveling through a time and a place called earth. This is not your home. You are traveling. You see, you are traveling in your body. Your body is what's carrying you. You are a spirit. You live in a body, and you have a mind. You are not flesh. You are actually looking through the window of your eyes. One day you will lay down this transport vehicle and it will rot in the ground. And your spirit and your mind will live eternally. And he's saying, such as the horse is susceptible to wind, to stepping in a pothole, or running over a cliff, he said, so are you. Just like a ship. In fact, when we were on the ship with my family, Hurricane Dorian was getting ready to come onto Miami. And the ship was navigating by its rudder around Hurricane Dorian to the extent we didn't even feel anything. But that storm was going on and gyrating in the Atlantic Ocean as we sailed. But the captain was telling us Hurricane Dorian is in this trajectory right now, but we are going to go around it using its rudder. It goes around Hurricane Dorian so that we don't get hit. So he's saying if you want to make changes in your life, the psychologist is not going to do it. The counselor is not going to do it. The pastor is not going to do it. You're going to deal with the tongue, brother. You're going to deal with that tongue because your problem is a tongue problem. That's what he's telling you. You see, we spend a lot of money and we go to a marriage counselor. We go to a psychotherapist. We go to a whomever. And I'm not saying those people can't help. Please don't get me wrong. They have special skills. They have special expertise that they could share with us. But what God is telling us is this. If you're going to navigate around your problem and you're going to make a change in your life, you have to start with here, right there. Now, only God could give you that kind of intelligence. Nobody else will give you that. God is saying, take an inventory of what you're saying and let it line up with what the word is saying. And until you do that, you will continue to experience the same problem and the same storm. You see, most times we want to blame other people. We want to blame our parents. We want to blame genetics. We want to blame our race. We want to blame our party, the republicans, the republicans, that's what they're doing to us, da-da-da-da-da. But God is saying, no, change what you're saying. Look at what Brother James said in verse 6. He said, the tongue is a fire. Look at that the tongue he's saying your tongue and you could look in the mirror that tongue he it said is a fire and what does he mean by that he's saying the misuse of your tongue through misspoken words is like a devastating forest fire that causes tremendous amount of damage in a short period of time and it can stop like a very small spark And it can quickly get completely out of control, very quickly. And why is he comparing this innocent-looking tongue? Why is he comparing it to a fire? Because number one, a fire is painful. And so are the burns caused by hot, fiery words. When you are angry and you are fired up, And you just say, I'm going to let it rip. Watch out. Watch out. You're about to set a forest fire. You're about to unleash uncontrollable events and things that might affect you, all those you're speaking over, and future generations. Devastating fire. Destroying fire. Then number two, fire spreads very quickly so does gossip and slander. Look at what Proverbs 16.27 said, and I'm not sure if you have this in your your handout or not. Proverbs 16.27 in the TPT translation said, A wicked scoundrel wants to dig up dirt on others only to spread slander and shred their reputation. You see, fire spreads, so does gossip and slander. Then number three, fire consumes. So are careless words, that consume reputation and character. Then look at the next set, the next comparison he made. He said in verse six, he said the tongue is a world. Oh my God! He's saying this tongue is a world. He said it is own cosmos in Greek. It's a world of iniquity. It's a whole different universe by itself. He said it's a world of evil. A world of iniquity. What does it mean by iniquity? Iniquity is moral injustice, wickedness, sin, violation of God's moral law. It's a world of perversion and perversity. So he's saying, your tongue is a world of evil capable of inflicting moral injustice, wickedness, sin, and perversion. This little tongue. Then he said, the tongue is so set among our members, it defiles the whole body. It defiles the whole body. Now, let's look at that word defile. What does it mean? Because that's not a word you hear too often in our time. Defile means to make filthy or dirty, pollute, to defile a river with sewage, or to debase the pureness or excellence of, or to corrupt. That sounds to me like sickness and death. He said your body, your tongue could inflict sickness that could kill you that's what he's saying it could defile you it could pollute you your tongue your words look at what James 36 said, in like in the New Living Translation and among all the parts of the body the tongue is a flame of fire It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. Look at that. He said your words, your misspoken words, can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. Then look at what TPT said. That was New Living Translation we just read. Now let's look at what TPT says. James 3, 6, and the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and is the most dangerous part of our human body. It corrupts the entire body and is a hellish flame. It releases a fire that can burn throughout the course of human existence. Think about that. He says your tongue sets on fire the curse of nature. That curse of nature is talking about the whole wheel of human nature, the whole curse of human life and future generations. There were a group of men that got together when Haiti became a country. Haiti, you know Haiti? and they spoke some word over that country. Those group of men, they were not believers in Christ, they got together and they said, we dedicate this land, this country called Haiti to Satan. They actually spoke that word. And guess what? The moment that word came out of their mouth, Haiti was bound. and multiples of generations. The calamity in Haiti, the natural tragedies and consequences, sickness and disease, poverty and lack, still, they are still feeling it to today. Just because maybe 6 to 12 men got together and they spoke. And those men are no longer living, by the way. But that whole country, every person living in that country is still suffering from that plague. Of their words so what happens when you are hungry and you are fired up and you chew your wife out and you just let it rip because she didn't cook that potato the way you like it she let it stay in the microwave one second more and you just said I'm just so sick and tired of this I wake up in the morning and I go to work and I'm going to ask you with this little favor, and you just blew it all up. I can't just stand it. This marriage is probably ending in divorce, and you said those words, and you thought they were casual words. Brother, you just shot a 44 magnum to your marriage right there with those words, if you don't repent. What about when your kid brings him a report card, and you say, Daddy, this is my report card. And you say, "Math, half again, Oh, James, you are just dumb like a brick. And you chew that little boy out. You render boy, you render him dumb for life if you don't change your words. What are you saying over your wife? What are you saying over your children? What are you saying over your job? Are you saying, oh, my God, I live paycheck to paycheck. I'm never going to make it. I'm probably going to find bankrupt. I'm going to file bankrupt. Because if you do, that is where you're heading. And this is not my opinion. That is what Brother James is teaching. That is what he's talking about. If you don't know what to say, if you are angry, you are better off choking it. Just keep your mouth shut. Stomp up, go to your room, shut the door, and go to bed. Don't say nothing. Then look at the next thing he said. He said, your tongue is set on fire by hell. Brothers, hell. You know who hell was created for? Satan. So your tongue is the gate through which the evil influences of Satan... Can spread like wildfire. Brothers, I'm going to tell you something tonight. Write it down. Satan wants to use your tongue. Alright? Satan has no authority or power on this art realm. He does not. Only man does. But you know how he uses his, you know how he gains authority? Through people. Through people. That is how Satan gains authority. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. He began to plant ideas into Eve's mind. And before he you know it, Eve was saying the same thing Satan was saying. And saying, well, Adam, let's eat that apple. It looks good. We're going to be like God. But where did that thought come from? It came from Satan. What is the first thing he did? When Jesus arrived on the scene, before he started the ministry, The Holy Spirit led him into a wilderness. Who came to him? Satan. He was trying to usurp the authority of Jesus Christ like he usurped the authority of Adam. Man made, God made man to be the God, small letter G, of the world. But Satan tricked man and took the authority from him through deception. And when Jesus showed on the scene to redeem mankind, guess what? He repeated the same strategy. He said, Jesus, I know you are hungry right now. You've been fasting for 40 days. Look, here's some bread. He said, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus said, no, man shall not live by bread alone by every word of God. Then he took him on a mountain and said, look at all the kingdoms of the world." He was trying to get Jesus, like he got Adam, to release his authority. But Jesus said, no, no, I'm the second Adam, and you're not going to do the same thing you did to the first Adam. And since that time, he's been practicing that strategy because you are made in the image of Christ. He wants you to wreck your marriage, wreck your community, wreck your company, wreck everything. And he's going to do it by trickery and deception. You're going to get angry and you're going to speak some words. And you're going to just think, oh, it's just words. But your words create, your words destroy. Words are meant to create and destroy. Communication is a secondary attribute of your words. Your words, God gave you your words and your tongue to create and destroy. The first thing God did with his mouth, Genesis chapter 1, and God said 10 times, and God said, And God said, let there be light. And he said, and he said, and he was creating. Use your words to create. Use your words to bless, not to curse, and tear down or kill. Because we know Satan's agenda is to kill, steal, and destroy. But he cannot do it without the cooperation of your words. Those words have to be spoken, before his plan can manifest. So if you don't want the enemy to manifest his plan in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your life, don't speak his word, brothers. That is the word of the Lord. I'm speaking it to someone here. Particularly you that are young, you are just starting your family, you are just beginning to build your children, you watch your words, brothers. Let's look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 18, 22 to 23. Matthew 16, 18, 22 to 23. So Jesus was having a dialogue with his disciple. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Then drop to 22. In verse 18, Jesus was recognizing Peter. For knowing who Jesus is. he was saying, Peter, you get it. You know I'm the Messiah who came to save the world. But look at verse 22. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Who is him? Jesus. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. You shall not go and be crucified. It's what Peter was saying. But look what Jesus did. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus recognized at that time, Satan was using Peter. You see that? Satan does not want the redemption of mankind to take place. And he was using Peter. Speaking through Peter. If Satan could speak through Peter, could he speak through you? Just think about that. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Look at Luke 22, 2 4. And the chief priest and the scribes sought out they might kill Jesus, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas. Judas is the chief financial officer of Jesus' ministry. Satan entered Judas. Look at that. How could Satan enter a man that ate and dined? Slept and played always in the vicinity of Jesus for three years, because he's been working on Peter's for a long time. How is he working on Peters? Through thoughts, suggestions and ideas. He's been penetrating Peter's mind, oh, Judas' mind. And at one point, he entered Judas, and Judas left. And went and planned the coup against Jesus, and Jesus was captured and crucified. But if you see in all these instances, Satan is looking for believers that has authority. He's looking for men that have authority and he wants them to speak his word, speak his plans. Because that's the only way they're gonna manifest. Again, I want to emphasize something, most of our troubles, most of them, a very high percentage of them, are tongue troubles. Any trouble you're going through right now, any storm you're going through right now, you could probably trace it back to something you spoke in the past or something you keep on speaking. Most of your troubles, most of my troubles, are tongue troubles. Look at Proverbs 6.2. Proverbs 6.2 said, You are snared. You are snared. What does that mean? You are caught or you are entrapped with the words of your lips. You are caught by the speech of your mouth. So what's he saying? A negative declaration or speech precedes the possession of bad things. A negative declaration or speech precedes the possession of bad things I'll say that again a negative declaration or speech precedes the possession of bad things what do I mean by that you became sick when you talk sickness and the Bible said in Isaiah 53 5 which stripes you are healed but you didn't align with that that's not what you said You said, it's flu season, and we're all going to get sick. You didn't say, hey, by stripes, house, wife, children, by stripes we are healed, flu, you do not come in our house. You said, we are all probably going to get sick, and you got sick. You became weak when you taught weakness. When Joel 3:10 says, Let the weak say I am strong. When Psalm 27:1 said, The Lord is the strength of my life, you said, I'm just tired. I'm so stressed. And you said it over and over again. I'm tired, I'm weak. Oh my God, I don't have any energy in me. And you said it over and over again. You were defeated. When you taught defeat, when Romans 8 37 said, We are more than conquerors through Christ. You see, whenever you misalign from the word and you take a position against the word, you're on your own. And there's a consequence for that. You need to find out what the word says and be aligned with God. You see, you became broke and poor, not because your dad wasn't rich, not because you, came, you lived in the other part of the town. You became broke and poor when you talked luck, when you said, I can't seem to make it from paycheck to paycheck. I'll probably be the first one to get fired in this office. I'll probably leave college, and I will be washing dishes. I'll probably retire and die. When you said you are broke and you are poor and you talk like you became broke and poor at that time. When God says, My God shall Philippians 4:19 said, My God shall supply all my need. When Psalm 23:1 said, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Do you see what I'm saying here? Negative declaration precedes the possession of bad things. Watch your words. The Bible says, if the Son sets you free, you are truly free indeed. But you said, no, I can't just seem to get away from this addiction. I'm addicted to porn. I'm an alcoholic, and will always be an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I can't seem to shake it. When you say those words, you're trapped by your word. Look at what Philemon 6 said. Philemon 6 says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual, or get things from God by the acknowledging, affirming what God says about you of every good thing which is in you in Christ. You see, your faith will become effective and be able to accomplish things and create things when you acknowledge what God says about you. You see, the word confession is just not confession, I'm confessing a sin. The true word of confession in Greek means saying the same thing. Say the same thing God says about you. See, in Genesis 1:26, God made man in his image and after his likeness, and he blessed them. See, God bless you. Don't curse yourself. You're already blessed. You see, one of Satan's strategies is to cause you to focus on your weakness, your sins, your mistakes, your defeat. You see, but you, as you grow in Christ, don't let your feelings and how you feel, what you think, what people around you are saying, don't let it govern what you say about yourself. You may feel weak. You may feel tired. Just say, you know what? I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I'm not saying don't take no, you could take medicine. But watch what you're saying with your words. Pay attention to your idle words. Idle words. Unchecked idle words equals self-imposed curses. I'll say that again. Pay attention to your idle words. Unchecked idle words equals self-imposed curses. Have you heard people say these phrases? I swear to God. I am sick and tired of this. We live paycheck to paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. I can't afford to tithe. I'm dying to do it over my dead body. It's flu season i always get sick i'll die if i do this it eat me like a rock you're killing me damn if i do damn if i don't i'm losing my mind you see we say all these cliche things we are the cautious of the enemy don't use those words over yourself i never say good luck never you will never hear me say good luck to you you know why Do you know where good luck comes from? Luck came from the word Lucifer. When you do a study of luck, that word luck, the root of it is Lucifer. So when you say good luck, you're saying good Lucifer. You are actually cursing the person you're saying it to, and you think you're blessing them. And that is the truth. Do Do that study yourself. And you might say, this African guy has lost his mind. He's just taking us into the wild jungle. but. I challenge you to do your do your own research and come back and let's talk about it you don't have to take my word for it but I'm trying to save you because you see the enemy entrenches himself in your words and it deceives you to say certain things and you say it over and over again and you curse yourself you curse your children curse your life and you never wondered where it came from but it came from this Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, you shall have whatever you say. Mark eleven Let's look at what he says. Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty three. For verily I say unto you, verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he said. Let me paraphrase it for you. Jesus is saying, I have told my people they can have what they say, but my people keep saying what they have. Do you want to have what you say, or you want to have more of what you have? To the extent you are acknowledging status quo, I am broke, I am sick, I'll never seem to get out of this jam. I'm probably going to lose. We are going down. We're going to file bankruptcy. our marriage is going down. This child is not going to make it. He's dumb, he's stupid. What did God say when He saw darkness? What did he, what did he say? Let there, "Let there be light." He didn't say, "Oh my, oh myself, it's dark." <laughs> if God said... Oh, myself is dark. Guess what? It will still be dark today. <laughs> <laughs> if something is going on in your life, don't go around telling people our marriage is going down. Oh, she just pisses me off. We have argument every night, and you spread around, and you keep spreading around, you keep spreading around, you keep telling people, you keep saying it over and over again. The more you say that, you have more of what you say. Jesus is saying, I have told my people they can have what they say, but my people keep saying what they have. If you can have what you say, if you can have a million dollars, why, why do you want to stick with a couple of red pennies in your pocket? Jesus is saying, you shall have whatsoever you say. It's a spiritual truth. Whether you believe it or not, If I could say, well, I'm going to go on this roof. I don't believe in gravity. And I jump, and you're going to say, oh, my God, that's that's you right there. You didn't believe in gravity. It's laying right there. These are words of God. He created the earth and is equipping us with strategies to win. Brothers, we're going to look at some examples from the Bible about what people said when they were in a storm. What did they say? When things were not looking good, when it looks like, oh my, psh, looks like the hand, what did they say? Let's look at some examples. Let's look at John 11, 11, 25, 43 to 44, and it's in your thing. You'll see there. Let's look at what Jesus said when Lazarus died. Jesus said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Just look at that. Look at the choice of words. Jesus did not say, our friend Lazarus has died. He only said it when his disciples pushed him. His disciples pushed him and he said, yeah, Lazarus died. But his own choice of word, Jesus said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then when he got there, he said, he recognized who he is. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He cried with a loud voice, and he who had died came out. And Jesus said to them, lose him and let him go. Someone is dead, but Jesus said they were sleeping. Why did they use the term sleeping and not they are dead? Think about it. Let's look at the Shunammite woman. And some of this scripture are a little long, but I want you to kind of, I want to give you the real flavor of what you are talking. I want to show you real life examples. Let's look at the Shunammite woman, 2 Kings 4, 18 to 26. When the child was older, he went out one day to his father with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, the boy sat on her knees until noon and died. Here's a little boy, probably suffered some kind of stroke. He was walking with his dad. His dad said, his dad was at the farm. He said, take this boy to his mom. They took the mom to his mom, the mom sat him on his lap, and in a few hours, the boy was dead. Then what did the mom do? The mom went up and laid him down on the bed of the man of God, which in this case is Elijah, shut the door on him and went out. Then she called to her husband, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, so that I may run to the man of God and return. He said, why are you going to him today? See, the dad did not know the boy had died. But look at what the mom said. The mom said, it is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, it is all right. What a crazy statement. The boy just died. But the mom said, it is all right. Why did she start crying and say, oh, my God. Bobby, your little joy is down. He said, it is all right. Let's read on. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on and do not hold back for me unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when the man of God saw her far off, and he said to Gehazi, his servant, look over there, is the Shunammite woman. Now run to meet her and say to her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is the child all right? What did she say back? it's all right. Two times this woman had the opportunities to have a serious emotional outburst and recite the tragedy that just happened. Instead she decreed the good. She said it is all right. I tell you when I read that I don't know. I I just (laughs) I don't know if I could have that kind of faith. I'm just confessing before you. I'm going to confess. I'm preaching it but this woman must know something about the power in the tongue. She said, it is all right. Twice. Let's look at another one. Romans 4:17. God quickened the dead and colored those things which be not as though they were. See, that is God's strategy. When God sees a problem, he colored the things which be not. He's not dismissing the problem. He's not saying there is no darkness. I'm not saying to dismiss your sickness, but he's calling for something better. You see, when God sees something he doesn't like, he calls for things that be not as though they were. When he sees darkness, he calls for light. And you could see in Genesis, darkness covered the deep, God said, let there be light. Let's look at David and Goliath. And I'm showing this because I want to grind it in. Because the test will come. You see, the test will come if it hasn't come already. Jesus said, in this world, you shall suffer tribulation. He said, but cheer up, I've overcome the world. And he said in Amplified, I've deprived it of power to harm or hurt you. So when the test comes, what are you going to say? Let, let's look at a 16-year-old at a boy, maybe a 17-year-old boy that was thrown suddenly into a warfare with someone that is greater than him. What did David say when he faced Goliath? Let's look at it. For Samuel 17, 45 to 49. Then David said to the Philistine, you see, remember, God called things that be not as though they were. if you face a ten-foot giant, and they put you in the cage in the UFC. And they tell you to take this man on. And you come in, and Goliath is still in the back. You come in, you're ready to fight, and you're like this. And then a ton food monster shows up and enters the cage. And they lock the cage. What will you say? Let's look at what David said. David said to the Philistine, <laughs> and I love David. He has an attitude. See, you have, an, you have to have an attitude of faith. Look at that. Look at this 16, 17-year-old boy. You come to me with a sword, a spear, or a shield. <laughs> I, mean, I love it. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have reviled. This day I will deliver you into my hand. No, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's what I'm talking about. That's the way you have to talk. You talk to the problems. Jesus said, speak to the mountain. Don't speak to God about your mountain. Tell your mountain about your God. You go to your mountain, and you say, mountain, you might be big, but you're coming down. I'm about to cast you into the ocean.'" You know, you might be bigger than me, but you don't have size my God. Tell God about, tell your mountain about your God. Don't tell God about your mountain. That is a believer. That is a New Testament believer. David said, I will give the corpses of the Philistine camp this day to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is God in Israel. And then all this assembly will know that it's not by sword and spear that the Lord saves, for the battle belongs to the Lord. I love this boy. This is, this is the kind of boy I want to hang with. Then in a few minutes, pull out the sling. Whish, 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 boom. I tell you what, the angel were guiding that rock. The angel, it was a GPS. It was set on a trajectory. because David has already spoken. Let me tell you a secret, brother. You see, your confidence in God triggers the anointing of God. Your confidence in the word triggers the power of God, and the power of God guarantees the victory. You see that? Your confidence triggers the anointing. The anointing is God's power. You have to speak it with full confidence, and when you do that, the anointing guarantees the victory you see what i'm saying when you speak and you put all your trust in god and god said that's my boy i got your back boy you see goliath was already dead he was a lunch lunchmate when david spoke he was just standing there you see you already caught him up with the word because the word is the sword of the spirit You see, the Holy Spirit hovered over the darkness. What was the Holy Spirit waiting for? The Holy Spirit, it was dark, and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the darkness. What was he waiting for? He was waiting for God to speak. So with you, the Holy Spirit knows about your problem, and is hovering around in your house, in your job, in your businesses, in your health. But the moment you speak the word with faith, the Holy Spirit goes to work. God's power is released. And that is why you got to get in the word because all this cannot happen without meditating on the word. Let's look at the three Hebrew boys. Three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery surface. In the face of being thrown in a thousand-degree fire, this boy said, No, we're going to trust God. We ain't bind to you. We're not going to bow to you. Just forget it. When you wake up in the morning, Monday morning, what are you saying? When the proverbial crap hits the fire, what do you say? When you are served with the papers to show up in court, what do you say? When the doctors say you only have six months to leave, what do you say? When your children said, I'm becoming a transgender, what do you say? You see, what you say determines victory or defeat. If you don't know what to say, be quiet. Go find what you're going to say. Let's look at Jonah in the well, Jonah 2, 9 to 10. Remember, this guy was on a cruise ship going somewhere. And they've just thrown him off the ship into a black Atlantic Ocean. And he has sunk a whale had gotten him. He's in the belly of the whale. What will you say if you are in the belly of the whale? Ten miles deep in the Atlantic Ocean. What will you say? But look at what Jonah said in the belly of the whale but as for me i will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving i will pay that which i have vowed salvation and deliverance belong to the lord and the lord spoke to the fish and he vomited jonah upon the dry land you see in the darkest time of jonah's life he praised and thanked god and that praises and thanksgiving unleashed the breakthrough and deliverance You see, I want you to get the picture clear in your mind. There are people that are living like this, and you can. Let's look at the 12 spies. They returned from exploring Numbers 13, 25 to 31. They returned from exploring the land after 40 days. And they returned and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the assembly of the children of Israel, to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back the word to them and to the entire assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They They reported to him and said, we came to the land. By the way, God has already given them the land. God said, I am giving you the land of milk and honey. All they have to do is go take the land. What should they have said? Father God, we thank you. He gave us the land. We're going to go take our land. But they have their own opinion. And look at what their opinion is. Verse 27. They reported to him and said, we came to the land where you sent us. And surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. However, the people are strong. Like God didn't know that. The people are strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are fortified and very great. And also we saw the children of Anad there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, and the Etites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and the edge of the Jordan. So Caleb silenced the people. Caleb was a believer. Silenced the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess the land, for we are able to overcome it. But the man said, The man that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people because they are stronger than we. The doctor said, I have cancer and I'm going to die. God didn't say that. God said by stripes you're healed. But you're saying the doctor said I'm going to die. And you started planning your funeral. How are you going to fight back? You got to fight back, and the way you fight back is with your words, and you speak God's word. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they have spied out, saying, "The land through which we have gone and spied is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giant, the son of the son of uh, Anak, which we come, which we, which come from the giants, and in our eyes we were like grasshoppers." And so we were in their eyes. Bad report, and they are all lies. They are all lies. Lies, lies, lies. You see, the enemy will focus you and make you think things are bad. Things are terrible, and you're going down. But you cannot yield to what you see and how you feel. You got to go back to the word. Now, I want you to just, the reason why we are reading this, I want you to hear what God's response is. Because most people do not know this. What did God say about what they have just said, that they are like grasshoppers? Let's go to Numbers 14, 28 to 31. This is God speaking. Say to them, this is Moses, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my ears, so I will do to you. Brothers, that is what is still happening today. God is going to do what you are speaking. God said, just as those people said, that is exactly what I'm going to do to them. Just as you have spoken in my ears, so I will do to you. They say we're like grasshoppers. We're weak. They are strong. And guess what? Over two million people died in the wilderness and never reached your dream. What dream has God given you? It may appear like you're not gonna get there, but that's your own opinion. Don't keep reciting your own opinion. God might say you're gonna be the greatest musician that will ever be. God might say you're gonna be a multi-millionaire. God might say you're gonna be, be a missionary. God might say you're gonna invent something. You have that dream. Don't say something else. Don't say, but I just don't see how that's going to happen. God might say, I'm gonna, I've already healed you of this cancer. Don't keep saying you are sick of cancer. Your words do matter, brother. And that is why I'm really spending a lot of time in this because the test is coming. And let's read one final one. Paul and Silas in the prison. Are you in some prison tonight? Are you in some prison tonight? A prison of depression, prison of loneliness, some darkness is over you. Maybe over your, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's someone here tonight that is some kind of a downcast over you. Let's look at what Paul and Silas did. After they had been badly beaten, they were put in jail, and the jailer was told to guard them carefully. The jailer did as he was told. He put them deep inside the jail and chained their feet to heavy blocks of wood by the way the jail in those times is pure darkness they are locked down their feet are shackled their hands are shackled sewage is running live sewage is running in the the prison there are also big rats crawling in the prison what will you do in that situation about midnight the darkest time of the night paul and Silas were praying and singing praises they did not complain they didn't say lord Is this what we get for serving you? We get locked up in this prison? Suddenly, a strong earthquake shook the jail to its foundation, and the doors were open, and the the chains fell from all the prisoners. Brother, we have taken time to show you different scenarios. People that lost their loved ones, people that were locked in prison, People that were getting ready to be thrown into the furnace of fire. People that were facing a giant. And the common thread amongst all these people is this. They didn't let the obstacle before them determine what they spoke. They spoke God's promises. They put their faith in God and they defied the evil or the obstacle before them. So you have to do, if you're going to win, in any area of life, you have to speak the word. So brothers, on that note, we're going to make our decree tonight. And why do we make decrees? Because we believe our decrees changes us. The moment we speak, we believe the change begins instantly. So I would like you to stand up, rise up to your feet, stretch, clear your voice, clear your throat, because we are about to unleash some things right now that's going to affect you, affect your children, your marriage, your community, your work. It's going to spread like fire, just like Evangelist Kerry did when he he canceled that cancer and he spoke over that man that had cancer, stage four cancer. You have the same power. You have it. So let's say this. Death and life life are in the power of my tongue. tongue. What I say say matters greatly greatly. and determines determines the outcome of my life. life. I will rise rise or sink sink to the level level of my confession. If I confess and recite my problems all the time, I will, I will feel worse and suffer defeat. If I confess that what the, words, what the Word of God says, the word God says about my situation, I will feel better I enjoy victory. I and enjoy victory. Therefore, Therefore, starting today, starting today irrespective, irrespective of my feelings, my, feelings, my, thoughts, my thoughts, my opinions, or what others are saying, saying, I will only only speak God's word word in response to life's problems. problems. For by my words, words, I will be acquitted. acquitted. And by my words, words, I shall be set free. free. And by my words, words, I will be condemned condemned. or suffer defeat. defeat. Therefore, Therefore, starting today, I will only only speak what God says says about my situation. situation. I decree this by faith faith. in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.